The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? And welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. People call me, hey, I heard you on KCRW. Oh, that's right. You were on KCRW this week. I was. What did you review? Uh, well, being the first week in January, only cinema classics. Didn't they re-release Bob LaFlambeur? You could have just... Uh... I wish I could have talked about Bob LaFlambeur. Yeah, uh, that's a cinema classic. Uh, indeed it is. Uh, no, we talked about the new like Insidious Part 4 mm-hmm. and a few indies that people haven't heard of. I got mm. to talk about The Strange Ones and Blame, which you probably haven't heard of. I actually haven't heard of that. Okay. <laughs> Was it any good? Uh, they were both okay. Neat. First week in January, and we're, all, we're off to an okay start. I, I guess you'll be reviewing those on Critically Acclaimed as well. That's right. Neat. Our other podcast. Yeah, which you're not listening to because you're here to listen to shows that uh, got canceled. <laughs> we're we're not going to talk about mild success here. No, no, no. We're, we're going to talk, talk about, about miserable failure, abject failure, and uh, this month on Cancel Too Soon, all of our failures are being curated by our Patreon subscribers. Successes, every last one of them. Yeah, ev- well, the, the subscribers, not the, the subscribers. Shows. Yes. Uh, yeah, if you uh, subscribe to our Patreon uh, uh, account, Patreon.com/slash/Cancel Too Soon, uh, in the five dollar tier or up, uh, you get to vote for episodes of the show. We usually do one poll a month, but we decide. As a thank you to all of our fans for another great year of the program, uh, every single week is another uh, show that is another poll. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the first week, all of your options were comedies. We did sit- sitcoms and comedies. Mm-hmm. Amongst your options were Charlie Hoover, about a guy whose uh, imaginary friend is a one foot tall, screaming Sam Kinison. And I'm shocked. That that didn't get more traction. Yeah, in the poll. no one really, no one hardly anyone cared. Yeah, the actual the the winner uh-huh. and the show that we were reviewing today is a show that emerged to some controversy. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a, had, had a, to change its title. Had to change its title. I think a couple of times. Hmm. Uh, and uh, it it uh, has a really awesome pedigree. It's from the producer of Sex in the City. It stars some really really talented people. Let's find out why a certain show got canceled. This is GCB, aka. Good Christian Bells, a.k.a. Good Christian Bitches. Welcome to Dallas, Texas. Trying to get a little work done. A little work, that's a daredevil. Where every day is Judgment Day. Cannot wear last year's uniform with this year's breast. Relax. Cleavage helps your cross hang straight. Coming soon. The creator of Sex in the City and the writer of Steel Magnolias show you what happens when you mess with Texas. You have two guns? Mother, what are you scared of? Not a damn thing. GCB, coming soon to ABC. Yeah, they had to change that title a couple of times. I, I wish they had uh, they had left it the way you said it before, before the <laughs> clip was, Good Christian Ellipsis. 
a bitch, like a bitches, a hyphen bitches. Good Christian uh, bitches. Well, that was the name of the semi-autobiographical book on which this series is based. That's true. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a, by a, an author named Kim, Kim Gatlin, and it was about her experiences growing up in uh, Texas among ultra-Christian, ultra-wealthy communities. Yeah, and it's an interesting environment that, um, you know, we've seen parodied a lot. There's, like, that character on The Simpsons who's, mm. like, the Texan with the belt buckle in the well, shape I mean, of Texas who whips out guns and shoots things and is super rich. It's, but, like, it's kind of like Dallas just updated and even more money, strangely. And Dal- it's basically a funny Dallas. It's Dallas with, with a little bit more of a wink. Mm. You know, like a little bit more awareness well, but, of the hypocrisy of people who claim to be big Christians, but live lives of kind of affluence and sometimes selfish affluence mm. uh, who believe in charity and and goodness and decency, but also behave very selfishly and hold on to and, petty uh, grudges. The, they're some of the pettiest people you'll find, in fact. And uh, one of my favorite elements of this show is that the local pastor... The, the center of their entire Christian universe doesn't really know what to do with these characters. Like, they come asking him for really terrible advice, and he, he just sort of looks at them, and he's not really sure what to say. He can't really say, you're being a horrible person, so he just says... Pray on, on it. That. Yeah, pray on it. And then he just sort of backs off. And then they and then they right in front of him they do the worst the thing worst imaginable. Possible thing, and yeah. He's like, no. It's like it's like there's a sitcom version of this, like a half hour sitcom version of this. This is a one hour show. Mm. Let's like Reverend Lovejoy with the cast of Sex in the City. And I kinda <laughs> want to see that version of it too. Well, I know there's there's British shows. There's Rev and there's Father Ted, although there's less like Father Ted isn't the same. Father Ted is not the same. Father it's, Ted is also kind of a terrible person. <laughs> They're, they're hardly priests in that show. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's all it's just they have to wear the same outfit. It saves the money on costumes. Uh-huh. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I like Father Ted. <laughs> uh, so okay, so uh, GCB, and we're just probably going to call it GCB or Good Christian Bitches the whole time. Well, it's called uh, that was the official title they settled on was GCB, but, but it's also was ended up airing in other places as Good Christian Bitches. Oh, okay, uh, I've seen some Australian promos for it okay. as Good Christian Bitches. Um, so uh, it was again the, based on a book by Kim Gatlin. It was developed by Robert Harling. Robert Harling mm. wrote Steel Magnolias, not just the movie, the play. Uh-huh. Like he's he's really got some chops. He, he knows the South. He does. He he was also a writer on Soap Dish, which is one of my favorite comedies. It, it used to be. I watched it recently and found it didn't hold up. I it think just, I, I watched it recently it and it up. totally does. Uh, but okay, right. uh, it's got some problems. Whatever. He also uh, worked on the first Wives Club. He directed the Evening Star, the, the sequel to Terms of Endearment. Yeah, with a, a, a less popular film, but actually, I remember it being pretty good. I, I've seen it, but I have not seen Terms of Endearment. Is that strange? That's extremely strange. Yeah. <laughs> Terms of Demon's great. Um, and uh, yeah, and it's also produced by Darren Starr, uh, who, of course, most famous for producing uh, Sex in the City. He also produced the show that we almost reviewed this week. It was the, the runner up yeah. in our poll was Kitchen Confidential. Also, also by a Darren, Darren Starr joint. And uh, also, we can... previously encountered him in the Bill and Ted's <laughs> Excellent Adventure sitcom. <laughs> which, which we've also reviewed also on this show. Yeah, the, weird. Sex in the City, however, is all over this show. Oh, it's very similar, uh, because especially at first. Uh, the, the, the relationships between the characters, the archetypes they fulfill... And kind of the, the the character dynamic, it seems really sim- similar. Well, what happens with the uh, GCB is that it's a show that, honestly, I think it starts off on a very poor foot and finds itself pretty quickly. Pretty within, quickly. within about six episodes, I'd mm. say, it finds a really good groove. But initially, it really does feel like they're chasing... 
Sex in the City. Like, they're trying to be Sex in the City, but instead of being this very supportive group of women who may all be very, very different, but clearly care about each other, mm. uh, there's all these animosities that go way back to high school. And they and- also were trying to do a little bit too much in terms of, like, plot and soap opera dynamics right up front. Like, the, the the machinations to get the main characters into place, it took them, like, three or four episodes just to lay that all flat well, and move forward. The basic premise of the show is that all of these women, and, uh, okay, we'll, we'll run down the cast super mm-hmm. fast. Uh, there's Amanda, our protagonist, played by Leslie Bibb from the TV show Popular, also mm-hmm. from the Cancel Too Soon series Kings, which we plan to get to soon. She's also um, in Iron Man. That's right. Uh, she plays the uh, the reporter who only has a couple of scenes, but yeah. there you go. Uh, we have uh, her rival, uh, Carlene, played by the inimitable Christian Chenoweth. <laughs> Christian Chenoweth's so great. I, I like Christian Chenoweth. Uh, on TV, you know, from Pushing Daisies and American Gods, she, she had her own Cancel Too Soon sitcom called Kristen we're going to try to track down. But on Broadway, she's a god. and mm, she, she was she was in Wicked. She was Glinda she, in the original production yeah. of Wicked. You just don't get better than that. And she was nominated for Tony, but didn't win. I was shocked to learn. Yeah. I thought she did win. Uh, we also have, uh, so Carlene is her next door neighbor, a lot of... We'll talk more about the characters later. There's Cricket, played by Miriam Shore, who is on the TV series Younger. She was in the Cancel Too Soon series Swingtown, but most people would know her from Hedvig and the Angry Inch. She played Yitzhak. It's like, she looks so familiar. Oh, wait a minute, if I put a beard on her... All of a sudden, she's recognizable. Uh, there's uh, Sharon, uh, played by Jennifer Aspen. She's the uh, more of the housewife, doesn't have like her own business mm-hmm. or other interests at first, and then finds yeah. a, a path, starts her own business over the course of the series. Uh, she's played by Jennifer Aspen from Party of Five. Uh, she's also going to be in the upcoming series Sharp Objects with Amy Adams. So hey. hopefully she'll uh, find even greater success. And then rounding I out the group... I love Sharp Objects. Rounding out the group is Heather... Uh, a the, real estate agent played the, by Marisol Nichols, and who has no character whatsoever. Nah, not much. <laughs> she, she's kind of the kind of the dead weight of the show. I, I feel like they hadn't didn't have time to develop her, but yeah. she's on Riverdale right now. She was on Twenty Four. Uh, she was in the Cancel Too Soon series Blind Justice. Which sit down for this. It's about a blind cop. That's it. Blind. That's the pre- blind justice. justice. You're welcome. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> And she's she's the only Latina of the group, and uh, there's a funny joke in the last episode where they ask her to talk to some Mexicans, and she says, I don't speak Spanish. I'm from yeah, Texas. Cricket, cricket speaks Spanish. Sp- cricket he, he, speaks he, Spanish. Yeah, it's really fun. Um, so the basic premise is Amanda moved away from Texas. She's the only one who moved away from Dallas. Mm. With her uh, high school boyfriend, he became a billionaire, but he became a billionaire in a Ponzi scheme. Mm. Uh, ran away to California, and the first scene of the show is him having been caught, packing up all his cash with his mistress, and promptly driving off a cliff while she's filleting him. Now, I want to say this right now. Uh-huh. Have you ever, ever seen a movie in which someone got roadhead and it uh-huh. didn't result in a crash? or uh, Usually dead, but at least a car crash. Uh, I can think of one where... The driver, a male, received roadhead uh-huh. and was okay, but then his passenger wanted reciprocity, and then there was an accident when he tried to do that. Okay, that's kind of funny. What was that from? That was from the movie Free Enterprise. Oh, I don't remember that from Free Enterprise. Weird. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to remember. It's like in Parenthood, mm-hmm. Mary Steenburgen and Steve Martin, that ends real bad. Yeah. Uh, thinner, thinner ends yeah. spectacularly <laughs> bad. Even hell, even American Gods, also with Kristen Chenoweth, that's a huge plot point. Same basic Somewhere, yeah. setup. Um, so she's lost all her money. 
She's lost her husband. She found out she never really had her husband. He was always a philandering asshole. And she's got two kids. All of her stuff has been repossessed, and she moves back home and with her mom. Played by Annie Potts. The great Annie Potts from Pretty in Pink and Ghostbusters and Designing Women and Young Sheldon now. And I really want to track down uh, her... She has two Cancel Too Soon series you want to track down. One was the TV series based on Dangerous Minds, where she took over the Michelle Pfeiffer role. Oh, jeez. Which is better casting, if you ask me. It's a terrible movie. It's not a great movie. Uh, and also, she was in a uh, series about single women in World War II called Good Times. <laughs> okay, I want to see that one. That one sounds great, right? I want to see that, too. She moves back in with her mom. And with her two kids, one of whom pretty much vanishes altogether. She yeah, a, the, the son is just he is never absorbed has a into the wallpaper. Never has um, a subplot. Daughter has like two subplots. He's gone. Uh, now she is really miffed that she has to move back in with her mom because her mom re- is like really, really wealthy and very, very Texan and very, very Christian and very, and very vain, v- vain and set in her ways. And she resents all of that and that lifestyle that she left behind. So things, I think, were set up to be really strained, but they start getting along pretty early on in the show. And that's the kind of thing... And I kind of like that turnabout. Because here's what happens. She moves back in. It turns Mm. out she was the mean girl in high school. All of these characters who are mean adults, turns out they're mean because Leslie Bibb was mean to them in high school, and it sort of set this chain of events in motion, and now they all conspire against her at every turn. And for the Meanwhile, first Meanwhile, she very vehemently is trying to make good. She's trying to she, be a good person. She hardly ever succumbs to their pettiness. And she does petty things, but it's only with like a bit of a wink or a little bit of heart. And well, I, I appreciate that about There's the an episode or two where she falls back into some really bad rhythms, mm. but that is always the point. The the thing with the show, and honestly, like I can imagine seeing the first two or three episodes and giving up on it mm. really fast, uh, is that that pettiness is in every single scene, and it starts feeling a little oppressive after a while. Well, the, and the, it takes jo- a, the joke wears thin. Because it's all set up. It's mm. all plot. And once the characters come to an uneasy understanding, like they still don't like each other very much, mm. but they're going to live with each other now, and they're not literally trying to destroy each other at every turn. It doesn't feel mm. like very bad things. Uh it actually f- just finds this really fun groove of characters who are forced to be nice to each other because they're all supposed to be good Christians. Mm-hmm. They all go to the same church. It's kind of like that it, Gosford Park, well, we can't ruin the party, so I'll destroy you subtly. Like and, that kind of thing. And it's... Uh, I don't think they ever say what denomination it is. It's some sort of evangelical Baptist church, I believe. It's probably Southern Baptist. I Probably, but they're not um, too specific. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, it is the type of church where... Uh, lay speakers are allowed to get up and give sermons on the regular. Yeah. Like it's, so a lot of people are able to air grievances in church. It's kind of like the community center. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, the pilot episode, Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's the, the basic plot of it. Uh, Leslie Bibbs, Leslie Bibb, Leslie Bibb, who I love, by the way. I think she's really, really funny. Like, she's, yeah, yeah. Uh, she's in a movie that's not a great movie, but I find it really funny anyway. Called Hell Baby. Hell Baby is terrific. Yeah, it's, it's like the plot is. T- it's like it's just this goofy exorcist a, riff, but yeah. the jokes land way more than you'd ever think mm. they would. There's this recurring gag where these like badass sunglass wearing, hard smoking priests, played by Tom Lennon and Ben Garant, of course, <laughs> uh, who I think wrote and directed it as yes. well. Uh, where they they're about to do something really really cool, but they they shot it in like New Orleans. Yeah, so they stopped to get po boys. Yeah, there's, they constantly stop to get po boys, and we just watch them eat the entire sandwich. This happens like three times. Uh, yeah, there's there's like three eating montages. My wife and I watched Hell Baby, and we immediately went out to get po boys. What, what I ended up doing actually, there's a joke in Hell Baby. I'm sorry, but Hell Baby deserves a moment. No one talks about it. Mm. 
where Keegan-Michael Key shows up and he makes pizza salad. <laughs> pizza salad is when you have a nice salad and you chop up pizza and uh-huh. you put the pizza it's basically cheesy croutons there's really nothing that weird about it it just sounds absurd and let me tell you something try it it's, a good, you know it's what? actually pretty good <laughs> I made it because of that movie it's pretty good while tired and slightly hungover on New Year's Day I've done that at Sioux Plantation sure. so, so don't don't you chuckle <laughs> don't you laugh that's that's good advice uh, so she gets she ends up uh, Leslie Bibb ends up getting a job at the local Hooters knockoff restaurant it's called Boobylicious and everyone's shocked oh my god but it turns out they shouldn't be because Kristen Chenoweth and her wealthy husband mm. own the place and, and it, that's the scandal the big scandal that we're going to re- reveal that they own this boobylicious bar, which is so not Christian. And in fact, uh, kind of highlighting the hypocrisy of these people is the central joke of the show. Yeah. And that's good humor. It's, it's good humor. It's something I didn't have a lot of patience for in the modern day, given, mm. you know, sort of some of the horrible things that are coming out of mega churches in the South. Right. But uh, if I can sort of lay back and relax a little bit, then I can appreciate the humor. It's interesting because like, they managed to be about Southern, Christian, mostly white people yeah. uh, who have very conservative values and very conservative politics. And it's not very political. There's a couple of episodes where they whip out some more political jokes than others. Mm-hmm. Some of them anyone will find funny. There's like a, there's one episode where Leslie Bibb accidentally shoots Kristen Chenoweth in the butt in a hunting trip. Yeah. And she asks her mom, what do I do? How do I apologize for shooting someone? And mom says, I have Dick Cheney's number around here somewhere. I'll ask. (laughs) It turns out, what what, what was it? It was a marigold. It was uh, like hydrangeas. Mm. (laughs) Oh, that he sent to his victim. Yeah, like this is the type of flower you send when you shoot shoot somebody. Because that's what Dick Cheney... There there was another uh, episode where they're interviewing... Another couple is interviewing like young interns to work for them. Uh One of them says, yeah, and I was a political activist and I worked for Obama. And they go completely ashen like right away. It's like, yeah, we'll, you will call you. <laughs> yeah, and listen, I can handle that. Uh, that's that's, that's okay. fine. Yeah. Because if you switched that joke... With the president... Y- you like. You like, yeah. Or, or didn't like, for uh. example. Like, oh, I did it for George W. Bush. You'd be like, oh. Yeah. Like, that's <laughs> set in San Francisco, for instance. We can all handle that. But then there are like these interesting ones where there's a whole episode uh, where everyone's supposed to go to a party dressed as... Famous Texans. Famous Texans. And some of them are not people who have a great reputation. And you're just sort of just like... Now... I'm not from Texas. Um, My but, mom's from Texas, but I've known Texans, and mm. I've known that I've I've had tastes of that Texan pride, and mm. that doesn't seem like it would be too much of an exaggeration. And in fact, I'm willing to bet that as cartoonish as this plays to us California boys, mm. it's probably a little bit closer to the truth well, than got, we perhaps suspect. They got the writer of Steel Magnolias. Mm. He's captured that that Southern America yeah. voice. Yeah, yeah. Very clearly, very believably, in a way that people have embraced for decades. Sam Magnolia's is a classic, mm. classic play, classic movie, actually. Um, and so I think that was that was probably wise to try to find someone who clearly loves these people and acknowledges their flaws. Yeah, yeah. And that's which is one of the reasons why the show only finds its feet once they start kind of liking each other a little bit and tolerating mm. each other a little bit and and creating it becomes, just it becomes a, more uh, comedic and rather than just sort of a bitch fest and i think that's what they were maybe going for at, at the get-go like just watching these people snipe at each other was going to be humor enough that's never humor enough no I've, I've seen other films and other tv shows try to do that and just watching people argue is 
unbelievably tiresome. Yeah. Uh, so there's a couple. Uh, so their husbands are right. Uh, each each of these characters has uh, a man in their lives, except for Annie Potts, who is a who is a widow. Well, and she Les- gets one. She eventually gets one. Yeah. But initially. No, wow. and Leslie Bibb is dating, but obviously her husband dies in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I think is actually kind of nice is that there's a lot of shows out there that treat that have male protagonists and the female uh, wives, girlfriends, whatever, kind of fade into the background and become supporting characters. For the most part, it's like that with the husbands as well. And it's kind of nice well, to see that dynamic shifted and see the, them the, become props a lot of the time. The women are, are high lit. There is beefcake smeared all over the show. Like, yeah. the, like even like the older sort of, pl- I guess, plainer mem- male members of the cast are films like their meals. So they're still attractive, and, and then the, rugged men. And then there's, there's yeah, just attractive guys with amazing abs and they take their shirts off a lot and we're meant to luxuriate in the maleness of it. Yeah. Um, and I did like that each of these people had believable relationships with their spouses, even as the husbands weren't major players. Yeah, Kristen Chenoweth is led to be the head mean girl of this, you know, the, these middle-aged women, but mm-hmm. she actually has a very healthy relationship with her husband. They're both dedicated Christians. Mm-hmm. They have a fantastic and, and vigorous sex life. <laughs> uh, and they support she, each other he, in all their endeavors. He can't keep up. That's like... It's like uh, what was his line about, like, uh, I thought you weren't in the mood. Wait a minute, you're always in the mood. Even when you're asleep, you're in the mood. Yeah. Um, my favorite is actually Cricket and her oh. husband, who it's, we find out pretty quickly. We find out early on that he has a boyfriend. Yeah, it turns out Cricket is married to a very gay man. Mm. And you would think that a lot of shows would play this for, oh God, is she going to find out? How is this going to destroy them? Turns out she knows and she's comfortable with it. Yeah, it's a marriage of convenience for both of them and she's okay bearding him. And they love each other. Mm. They're just not amorous. And that's a really interesting relationship because they have to, they, Mm. because of their society, they can't really divorce and they really can't let anyone find out that he's gay, or he will, mm. you know, lose everything in the community. Um, so, so it, the, him, him being closeted is not something that they ever really address outside the two of them. Not much. And I, I was hoping that that would be more strongly addressed had the show continued. I'm sure it would have been. There, Leslie Bibb figures it out pretty fast because mm. she's from California, and he's <laughs> if you if you pay attention, he's not hiding it very well. Yeah, but he's he's got a beard, so no one thinks about it. Uh, there's a one episode where they put on a musical, and he's just going in. Insane, <laughs> and it's great, and, and you just you know anyone in the audience would just be like, "Is he gay?" My, my whole, uh, my whole, my favorite bit between the two of them is is the sex episode, which oh, yeah. uh, probably my favorite episode of the show is like the seventh, I think, where um they they are talking a lot about how they might want to have another kid, and they're talking, and she's a professional, he's gay. No, they're not going to have another kid. That's ridiculous. Yeah, apparently then, they only had sex like one time yeah. in the nineties, and she happened to get pregnant, and so she's, you know what? Sure, why not? Let's have another kid. I think that would actually be good for our family. I would love another child. I think it would make our bond stronger. So they set up for a night of romance, and neither of them are in the mood. Yeah, they can't. He's not into her, and she's just can't get in the mood for him. Yeah, they ended up. uh, They they take they They, they take some like herbal libido enhancing supplements, and it just like makes them sweat and like they're drinking like flower water because they're so unhealthy. It just cuts to them like running around the house, completely manic and insane, and hating everything. I do not feel sexy. And Cricket's then, my favorite. And, um, then, and then they watch Spartacus, and everything's and okay. <laughs> Spartacus manages to do it for both of them, and I'm like, okay, that's actually pretty funny. That's a pretty good Well, thing. and, and he, even, he even, like, they, they are speaking with in that famous 
famously omitted snails and oysters sequence, mm. the one that Anthony Hopkins does the voice of Olivier for, because ah, they, right. they lost the that. original sound masters. And they know the film so well that they're just sort of speaking the lines, and the husband like turns to her and says, my tastes include both snails and oysters. Like, <laughs> well done. Well done. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, so we've got uh, Sharon and her husband. Her husband is a former NFL player who now runs a car dealership. Mm. Um, Sharon has an uh, something of an eating disorder. She's just overweight. She's concerned she about lot. her weight. Um, and she, she's portrayed as fat even though she's tv fat she's tv fat yeah. meaning she's gorgeous but she's not Kristen chenoweth she, she's not as thin as the other characters yeah um and we find out that she's been sort of like not even the beta female in her relationship she's like the gamma <laughs> like she's like lowest on the totem pole in her mm-hmm. social circle and makes her really insecure and over time she finds more strength more uh uh confidence she starts her own business and there's a really good relationship with her husband where her husband starts realizing that he has become in conservative parlance the woman in the relationship mm. and she's actually more powerful than him more well, dominant no, than him more confident more successful it's great though the he reacts kind of prickly to this notion but in every episode he learn he like learns to come around a little bit more yeah it's like but i'm not supposed to do this and she's like like, you know what? It's okay. He's like, yeah, you're right. It's okay. Yeah, like there's this one episode where they decide to have like there's this tradition where everyone, all the men in town, have their own barbecue mm. groups and they have a huge barbecue competition. And Leslie Bibb decides to try to get all the women together to start their own all female barbecue team. Mm. And Sharon's husband is just like, no, you can't. Not in the bedroom, maybe, but in public, I gotta prove that I'm the man. And then the second uh-huh. anything like someone just tries to catcall his wife, he's just like, all right, nothing else matters. My marriage is more important, <laughs> and you're just sort of like, yeah, okay, yeah. and they, yeah, they, fair they, enough. They, that's like, nice. like he's ki- he's kind of a, a lunkheaded jerk, but he's learning not to be, and that's actually a very positive trait. There's something in that character. There's something that we take for granted, I think, in in fiction that we sometimes forget in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, almost any work of fiction that you love, there's a few like really abstract ones that don't fit this, but for the most part, any work of fiction that you love is based on character development. People change over time. Yeah, well, Usually, they get better. That's that's what a story is. Yeah. Beginning, there's a big change, and then there's the consequences. But what's interesting is how how often we lose sight of that in real life. Mm. And there's a lot of characters who are portrayed in a show like Good Christian Bitches, who a lot of people are eager to think in real life are oh that's just who they are and they'll never change. And I'm mm. like. Those, every art form that we love is based on the idea that people can change mm. and do change. It might be difficult, and the mm. older you get, the more set in your ways you are, but people evolve. And, 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 and so over, over it's very time, satisfying to watch it. Over time, you know, there, there's like, and I'm going to go back to my old ways briefly just to start learning my lessons again well, in a long running show. What, 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 is it, what is it they say in Alcoholics Anonymous? Like, relapse is part of yeah, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. you, you, the first relapse. Well, like, you know, you, you're trying to change. You still have old patterns of behavior. And if you're on a route to changing yourself for the better, mm. going back to your old patterns because it seems easy won't be satisfying to you because you realize now why it doesn't work. Yeah. That's why it's part of. Uh, uh, rehabilitation. Mm. Um, so yeah, all this is 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 very satisfying. What do we got? Um, I think I'm forgetting. Well, Le- Leslie Bibb starts dating mm. uh, this handsome young guy who she you know accidentally bumps into her in her car. He gets out of the car and he's got no pants. Uh, yeah, it's super contrived, to- totally naked. It's like eight contrivances in one scene where she's trying and, and to get to church is, in time. And, she's got to be in the car, and, and he is so nonchalant about this whole thing. Yes, I have no pants on. That is the reality of this situation. You can accept it or not. And his nonchalance kind of kind of sells all of those contrivances. Yes, I understand we are in a sitcom right now, but I'm going to suffer this with dignity. <laughs> I spilled coffee. I had to take off my pants and my underpants. 
That is why I'm flashing you right now. I apologize for that, but I gotta go. You're the one who hit my car. So I did nothing wrong. Here, here's my here, here's my mechanic. Like, Fix my car. Contrivance Bye. number twelve. Uh, he happens to be Kristen Chenoweth's younger brother. There you go. And so a little bit of awkwardness there. A little bit of awkward. Oh my god. <laughs> I can't believe uh, the woman I hate is dating my brother. And they what? start they start dating, and the relationship is strained between her and Christian Chenoweth, and it was already strained to begin with. Meanwhile, Annie Potts gets her own love interest in the form of Bruce Boxleitner. Ah, <laughs> from, from Tron. From Tron and Babylon 5. Yeah, good old Bruce Boxleitner. Bruce, people forget that Bruce Boxleitner literally was Tron. You think of it as a mm. Jeff Bridges movie, like, it's Bruce Boxleitner's the action hero in that. <laughs> He's the one, like, Bruce Boxleitner's the one in, like, the, the sequel who's, like, the m- most badass assassin of them all. <laughs> I like Bruce Boxleitner. He seems mm. cool. Um, but, yeah, and he is an old friend of hers who they've always had this flirtatious relationship, mm. but he's been married to someone else. A handsome AF. By the way, yeah, very great-looking guy, very attractive man. They, they're and you know they find a lot to like about mm-hmm. all these characters. And then lastly, there's Heather, uh, played by Marisol Nichols, who doesn't have a love interest, and that's kind of the only thing they have for her is that she's looking for a guy. She's looking for a guy, yeah, and she's well, she's a real she, estate agent, but she's not super rich, so she's always trying to wheel and deal. She she gets no subplot, she gets no episode. Her romance is bland and functional. She only serves a few plot points near the end of the series. There's a couple of, there's a good she's episode. She's such a dis- she, unsatisfying character. She, there's a good episode where she wrote a Christian musical that they have to put on in church. We'll right, talk about right, that. Right. And there's a couple of episodes where she's dating Tom Everett Scott mm. uh, from That Thing You Do. And they're cute together, but it just doesn't go very far. Like no, There's it, it, no conflict between those two. They're yeah, just sort of dating. One of the problems with the character is that she doesn't really have anyone to play off of a lot of the time. So whenever, Because everyone else has partners. They have close friends mm-hmm. or a, a husband or a wife or whatever. And whenever she shows up, they have to just sort of drag her into the scene because she doesn't really fit in there organically. Mm-hmm. She works well with everything she's got. She's clearly a talented performer. It's just an underwritten role. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? Um... Okay, uh, so that's the basic setup. Yeah, I think, I, I think it's. Well, not we've gone, we've gone through a lot of the the, the stories already. We, you, yeah. you mentioned the musical episode. There's uh, and they do like little episodic bits. Mm-hmm. Like I, I mentioned, there's one where just everybody has sex. Mm-hmm. That's that's the theme of the episode. And in fact, that's the episode where Kristen Chenoweth tries to do one of those Hell House scare scare kids into celibacy haunted houses. Oh yeah, and there's this subplot about how she Leslie calls it Vick, Heck House Heck House because yeah. he double hockey sticks is not allowed in this church and uh leslie bibb's daughter gets kind of sucked into whatever Kristen chenoweth happens to be doing in any given episode and so she becomes like the sort of chastity crusader until it's revealed that they're just all the kids are making out anyway yeah and then uh, leslie bibb and Kristen chenoweth decide to take each other's kids aside and, and this s- was great yeah and they decide to scare them so Kristen chenoweth actually has this really tender moment mm. with leslie bibb's daughter where Kristen chenoweth says when i was young I was very promiscuous, mm. and I regretted it now. It was because I was insecure. I didn't feel like I could say no and still be popular. You deserve better than this. Mm. Boom. It's actually really, really great. Meanwhile, Leslie Bibb is stroking her mother's shotgun. Oh, she, she's... <laughs> Here's the thing. I, I don't think Leslie Bim in that scene was trying to threaten the boy. I think she was trying to be kind of relatable. So she's like sitting down. Yeah, let's let's rap, teenager. But, but it and, was threatening. She's exuding this yeah, violent, like, you know, know, macho I, vibe. Yeah, I, I, I didn't get a lot of play in high school, as it turns out. You know, she like takes the gun down and starts polishing it. It's like... <laughs> You know, and my my parents were always mean to me. If 
if a boy were to touch me, why that boy would be murdered somehow. Like she's just really lays it on thick. That but, episode is based on a, a, a true story. Actually, it was, it was in the news a couple of years ago uh-huh. about a pastor who decided to take a more active role in sort of preaching about sex because mm-hmm. sex is part of the human experience, and all of my married parishioners are supposed to be having sex it's part mm. of the part of being married <laughs> and he decided to give everyone a job for the next week every single one of you who are married have sex with your partner once a day uh-huh. and it, and apparently it worked it really <laughs> healed a lot of relationships mm. that had been kind of separating because there was more intimacy yeah and it was they made it into a really funny episode where everyone was just boning the whole time <laughs> it was really great yeah. um Okay, so these okay, let's go through some ones that we've sort of skipped over. The second episode we find out that Leslie Bibb in high school decided to sort of separate the popular girls and the unpopular girls. Uh, where the unpopular girls are called javelinas, and you threw mud on them. And That's right, this was their sort of hazing ritual. Yeah, and the gag is now all of the the, the women who were javelinas, you know, mm-hmm. Chris and Chenoweth, all these people who seem like they might be villains at first, but we realize they're more complicated characters than that. They're going to sort of arrange things so that Leslie Bibb's daughter will be declared a javelina and suffer the sins of her parents. And then it turns out they decide to make her popular anyway. Not because well, but, they're kind, but because they can maybe try to be insidious scheme against like the mountain to dump, keep her clean. They dump mud on her, but then they dump glitter on her as well, so uh, I I missed when I was watching this, I somehow like zoned out when they described that it was supposed to be mud, so when I saw the actual like mud dumping, I thought it was pudding and I, and I had to go back and <laughs> clarify that that was mud because why would it be pudding? That's a strange ritual. You're so innocent. Um, <laughs> let's see what we got here. There's um, I like pudding, that's all. <laughs> Um, okay, so we got, uh, oh, so we forgot that Annie Potts, uh, Bruce Boxliner shows up and he's married and at a big party that Kristen Chenoweth is putting where everyone's dressing up with her. Oh, this is hilarious. Yeah, she, she chokes and dies. Like, she chokes and dies in the extreme background. She's very, very out of focus. We don't hear it at all. There's just two characters talking, having a conversation in the foreground and completely upstaging them both as this figure way in the back. Yeah. And over. Kristen Chenoweth is distracted because she finds out from her husband that they were among the people that Leslie Bibb's husband Mm. uh, conned and they actually lost a lot of money. And so they're actually trying to find out maybe Leslie Bibb has the money. Maybe her husband isn't, Mm. is faking his own death. Uh, That's a stupid plot. That's a stupid plot point and it doesn't go anywhere. And frankly, I'm glad that they abandoned it, but there's this one really, really great bit where uh, Kristen Chenoweth looks like he's had some work done. Uh, is trying to find out about the funeral to see if they can prove whether or not her husband died. He says, was it an open casket? Mm. How did they make him look after the uh, car accident? Unless it was like, that's really ghoulish. And Kristen Chenoweth says one of the best lines in the show, which is, I'm always trying to look more lifelike. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. The absolute best line in the series, though, is um, it's all in the delivery, and my wife and I have been doing it ever since we saw the episode, which is, I think it's the uh, uh, promiscuity episode. Mm where Leslie Bibb accuses Kristen Chenoweth of being dramatic, and Kristen Chenoweth's response is, Dramatic? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. And you you know that they had to do, like, 50 takes of that, because Kristen Chenoweth just killed the entire crew, and they had (laughs) just everybody busted out laughing. It's great. I don't usually... I don't usually bust out too many of the special features when we do uh-huh. uh, Cancel Too Soon when we, something's properly available on DVD and has them. I wish I had more time, but I kind of mm. like, um, I do a little research, but it's good to just, what did people get mm. from the show? Yeah. Um, but there is a blooper reel 
on Good Christian Bitches. Ooh. It's not that I, long. You, I, I, don't, always, I didn't watch it. I just watched the episodes. I always think when they do like a blooper reel for TV, it's gonna. It's a long fucking TV show. They spent months making this thing. This should mm. be a longer blooper reel. And it's like most blooper reels, it's a little disappointing mostly. It's flubbed lines, a couple of mm. swear words. There's a montage of the protagonists of like a ma- of like a Leslie Bibb and Kristen Chenoweth and Miriam Shore mm. ruining scenes because they farted. <laughs> There's a montage. Wow. Okay. And it's just like I guess that was a big problem on set. I, you, you know, you know what's going to happen eventually. Well, yeah. Like uh, once in a while, if you do a TV show, it's just gonna, oh, how embarrassing. But like usually, they don't put it on the blooper reel. It's really humanizing, actually. To just see a scene where Kristen Chenoweth and Leslie Bibb mm. are having a scene, and the Kristen Chenoweth has to stop because it smells. Aww. <laughs> it's so Aww. weird. It's so weird. Um, what are they feeding those actors in Texas? Uh, let's see. There's an episode called Forbidden Fruit, which is about a church fundraiser. Mm-hmm. And it's all up to uh, Heather to try to put it together. Uh, Kristen Chenoweth and... Oh, God. Uh, I'm so bad with names lately. And Miriam Shore. Cricket, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Carlene and Cricket are vying to be the musical talent. They both fancy themselves singers. They are. Especially yeah. Kristen Chenoweth. Holy shit. Um, but uh, yeah, you think she'd have a Tony or something. Yeah, Heather uh, uh, ends up her, her rich boyfriend gets them Cheryl Crow. Yeah, so so Cheryl Crow is in the show. That's that's the that's the one big notable get I think for the the program. That's the one person who plays themselves. Yeah, like there's, there's and a she, couple she other has a few lines names, and she but... sings a little bit. Yeah, and I. It seems to me like Cheryl Crow maybe wasn't like Cheryl Crow's a superstar. Don't get mm-hmm. me wrong, but I think they were like going for maybe Willie Nelson. Or like like a Dolly, some legend, yeah, kind of, and, and you know Willie Nelson and, and Dolly. Great, Cheryl uh, Crow's fantastic. Yeah, don't, again, don't get me wrong. Uh, here's my thing, Dick Cheryl Crow. But I'm gonna uh, throw it out there. I bet they could have got Willie Nelson. Willie Nelson <laughs> will be in your movie. Willie okay. Nelson will show up. They tried to get Dolly. Yes, Dolly's busy. <laughs> Dolly is. I buy that Dolly was busy. I I think Willie Nelson is who you get. Mm. Like you you go for you go for Dolly. Can't get Dolly. Okay, fine. You go for like Garth Brooks or something like mm. that. You know some of the other like big, 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 relatively contemporary names, and you go They're to Willie Nelson touring, last yeah. because Willie Nelson is great, but he's not like a real big get. You're not going <laughs> to be able to say in the ads with special guest Willie Nelson. Mm. Eh, I've seen Willie Nelson. <laughs> he's in a lot of movies. <laughs> I, I amend that. I okay. Amend that they, um, they tried to get Dolly. They got Cheryl Crow. Not a bad second choice. Not a bad second choice at all. Uh, the next episode is uh, around. Uh, this is the one where it really starts kicking off for me because you, you said the sex episode is when it starts getting really, really uh, good. I think it's uh, the... The renewal of vows episode. Yeah, because Carlene renews her vows every single year and apparently it's one of the social events of the season. Mm. And so, so she can essentially... She's so vain and so wealthy she wants to have a big wedding every year. Yeah. And that, it's a, uh, that's, that's horrifying. And it's a big deal. And because Leslie Bibb is dating her younger brother and her younger brother won't go to the wedding... Unless Leslie Bibb is there too, she decides to make Leslie Bibb her matron of honor, mm. thus kicking out Sharon, who has always wanted to do this and is not allowed to now. Mm. And it's basically Leslie Bibb act, like screwing up every single phase of the plan, and it's all pretty funny. Mm. Like there's this one. It's, it's this is. I like this one, uh, the ones that sort of are contained a little bit. Mm-hmm. Episodic. Episodic. And uh, yeah, this one, like, does have a lot of kind of story beats along the way. 
um, where it feels like a condensed version of a madcap screwball comedy movie from like the 30s. Well, once you hit this point in the show where all mm-hmm. the characters are clearly defined and you've kind of moved away from the from the plot of the pilot, which kind of leads us too long because mm-hmm. it's all about their animosity. Once we know who the characters are, we can just put them in any situation and they'll be who they are mm-hmm. and they'll be funny. Yeah. So you put and, them... You know, and if they get to that by like episode five or six, that's actually a pretty good job. That is pretty good. I'm actually yeah. surprised the show didn't find a bigger audience. So... Uh, yeah, so they have a, uh, so there's like a bridal shower, mm-hmm. and Leslie Bibb assumes it's a naughty bridal shower, and everyone else is giving her statues of biblical figures, <laughs> and Leslie Bibbs gets like turned on and vibrates across the table and everyone mm-hmm. runs. That's uh, pretty funny. It, it's pretty funny, and it was very taste- tasteful the way they handled it. Yeah, because they never actually take it out. <laughs> oh, look, this is another big one. I wonder what's in there. And it like, start, yeah, starts vibrating, and it's still in the box. So we don't actually see what it is. They don't say what it is. Mm-hmm. But we know exactly what it is. Well, and it's we know funnier because it we don't yeah. see it. We just saw it it'd be a little bit crass yeah it's something pretty funny but it's funnier if we know mm-hmm. but then the best part is they decide to uh apparently every year they have a hunting trip <laughs> as and part it, of this and it turns out cricket is a total badass there's a great episode later on where they need to in order to get their barbecue going mm-hmm. they need to find wood from a very particular pecan tree which turns out it's on cricket's land so cricket shows up with a shotgun seeing that there are intruders on her land mm-hmm. and when she finds out they just want wood from the tree and they're doing it for reasons she likes she fires into the air and a branch falls <laughs> <laughs> she's just such a badass <laughs> I seriously she, love Cricket's character. She is yeah. she is such an interesting. Well, I love the actress figure. who plays her. Mary because is hilarious. She, she's hilarious. She has a lot of uh, like just gumption and confidence, like even more than the other characters. Mm-hmm. She's got a lot of dignity, mm. and what you find out is that underneath that dignity, there is a certain sadness. She's married to a, a gay man, not even a bisexual man, a mm. gay man, and she has made some sacrifices for that. Mm. She has a string of affairs that he's fine with because he's sleeping around too. Mm. But there's a there's a bit later on where she starts flirting with someone and she starts actually kind of feeling things for him mm. and she has to decide do I jeopardize yeah. the marriage and she decides not to mm. which is kind her, of her, noble of her well her it's a sham marriage but she is she still loves her husband yeah the Even, friendship is real they're not yeah so rather than risk that emotionally well there's an episode is, where is, Leslie Bibb. Uh, they decide to hire yeah. Leslie Bibb to help them put together a jeans line. They just acquired a mm. line of jeans that was very popular. It was like Oshkosh Bagosh. Like it was used to be famous amongst mm. high schoolers, and now it's kind of gone. But the name still has some clout. And Leslie Bibb has some really good ideas for how to make those jeans work because she loved those jeans. So they hire her, and she's getting really well along with Cricket's husband. And then there's a big scandal. People are protesting the jeans, and it turns out Cricket was behind sabotaging her own business just because she wasn't afraid of losing her husband to another woman. She was afraid of losing her friend to another friend. Mm. And so it's it's a bitchy thing to do, <laughs> but it's actually really sort of vulnerable and it really humanizes her. And she, God, she's a great character. He's one of my favorite characters you run into lately. That episode is really strange because how Leslie Bibbs but looks in tight pants as a plot point. A really important plot point. It's interesting because it's a show about women and there's a lot of beefcake. And every once in a while, mm. especially early on, there's a there are attempts at cheesecake. Mm. And it Well, Boobylicious for one. But, well, yeah, but even so, like she works at this Hooters type bar called Boobylicious. Whenever they're there, whenever someone acts in a sexist manner, the waitresses, unless they've been particular, fight it off mm. and they nix it right then. Um, there's not a lot of leering shots. There's a couple early on, and then they stopped doing that, and I'm really mm. glad they did, because I don't think that was their demographic. 
Um, not that it would, I would approve anyway, but like it's not even what you're trying for. I don't even know why you bothered. Um, and that, that, uh, it's a studio note. It's, it's obviously a studio. It's note. a studio note. Like oh, people are going to be watching this with their husbands. Like no, they're, they're really not. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the cool ones, but mm. yeah. So yeah. So I, I just think there's it's a it's a good vibe. I think I lost my train of thought here. <laughs> you, you were you were focusing on cricket and how. I, was focusing, I think she's I think she's no. fucking awesome. Uh, let's see what we got here. Uh, so we did the, we did the sex episode. Mm. Uh, we did the oh the musical episode. So the pastor. Is having a rivalry with a with a local with a more successful pastor across the, town. The opening scene is hilarious because we did that <laughs> at, at uh, the the use at at United Methodist Church. I was part of UMYF okay. when I was a kid, and we would go to like the Baptist church around the corner. And there was no actual animosity or rivalry, but we like to pretend there was. Yeah, so like they're so doing this, like, we got to try to do this better. So, so we kind of yeah, we kind of like would. Scope out the church to see what they were up to and try to like do something very similar. And they, I like that they try. So, to, yeah, they, they go into the rival church and steal their literature, like big piles of it. Yeah, it's like, and when the when the other priest catches them doing it, it's just like, oh, you, we heard you had a great font. Is this Helvetica? No, it's Garamond. Ooh, and then they're like, they're like. <laughs> Every the title of every episode is on. There's a biblical allusion, and it's on the the marquee. It's on the marquee outside the church, and like the opening of every episode. And this episode, it's on the other church across town. And even that's more clever because it's like pride cometh before the fall. But, but the fall but the words letters fall are falling off the marquee. Oh, that's so much better than what we're doing. And it turns out they're doing like a big musical over at the mm-hmm. other church, and the pastor starts feeling pretty small. So Elizabeth says, "Oh yeah, we're doing our own musical too, and it's going to be bigger than yours." And better and it's an original production mm. and we're putting it on in a week and pastor's just like I that was a lot of false witness and she's like only if we don't do it <laughs> so they gotta put this thing on and it turned out heather wrote a musical about the holy ghost mm. when she was in like 10th grade but it's like the most garish awful thing yeah like the opening bit is like a it's, dance number with a fig tree mm. and there's a really funny bit where like like, they, like a, an actor dressed as a fig tree yeah and there's a really funny bit where like the actor is played by i, I think it's carlene's son and he's too busy. He's on his phone when the when the curtain goes when up. The curtain yeah, goes. He's so they have, uninterested. They have to throw a loaf at him to get him realize. Oh, sorry. I'm a fig tree. <laughs> it's like it's like the waiting for Guffman episode. And uh, let's see, uh, Sergio, get away from the garbage, Sergio. But I love it. Uh, Bad. It's very. Bad it's very Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat type musical though. Sure is. So that is to say, like one of the worst things ever. Yeah, like uh, Cricket's husband plays Lazarus, and he's like got his is like is toga it a gold draped tunic? all over. Yeah, it's just terrible. Yeah, uh, Carlene's husband plays Jesus, and weirdly enough, he's actually a pretty good Jesus. He's no <laughs> acting experience, and he's uncomfortable with it. But he's like, "What would Jesus do?" Oh, I should say that all the time. <laughs> And of course, Cricket and Carlene are uh, vying for the lead role. Mm. Cricket tries to buy it by saying, I will provide all of these props and visual effects. But Carlene's actually better because, sorry, she's Kristen Chenoweth. <laughs> so, so Leslie Bibb, who's directing, gives her the role, but then they actually do need those props. So she downgrades Kristen Chenoweth to leper. <laughs> and it's, it's a really I, funny I, episode. I can imagine Kristen Ch- Chenoweth in real life, like vying for a role. You should give me, her rival says, you should give me this role. I'm better for, clunk, clunk. Oh, I'm sorry, I dropped my Tony. <laughs> Let me pick that up. I need to put it back in my purse. I'm sorry, I lost my International Treasure Award. Has anyone seen it? 
Kristen Chenoweth. Oh, here it is I, behind your ear. I hope Kristen Chenoweth is a Highlander because seriously, <laughs> she should be around forever. She's so great. Every single thing she does here, her comic mm. timing is impeccable. Obviously, anytime they give her a chance to sing, which is a lot, mm. she's fantastic, and she just does weird things. She, she's kind of a. a strange cartoon <laughs> a lot of the time. Not just in this show, just in her life. She, she, plays, she plays those roles a lot. Well, that's the cool thing. Like, I think there's this idea that, um, I think people sometimes confuse big acting with big characters. Yeah. Kristen Chenoweth is a master of big acting, so if you give her a big character, mm. she will nail it. And we've all seen this, and even like great movies, like I think the, my, my favorite example is uh, Seven Samurai. <laughs> Toshiro Mifune oh. plays a young blowhard. He's a huge character. He's overacting the entire time because he's pretending to be something he's not. He's very theatrical. Yeah. He's doing it on purpose. So it's great acting in a big performance. Kristen Chenoweth is playing someone who wanted to be a big star. She wanted to go to Hollywood. She didn't. So she acts like the biggest fish in the pond now. Mm. So every single over-the-top thing she does is, is completely justified. Yeah. It's completely real when she does it. And I'm sure, if you think about it, You've all known someone like this. Mm. And she nails every single scene. She's so fucking funny. Um, let's see, I'm trying to think what else we got here. Uh, well, then we come down to the end. Uh, oh, the, we, show the barbecue. Only, oh, the barbecue. Which we, I we, we, think we, we covered. Yeah. Um, the final episode, uh, this only lasted ten episodes. Mm-hmm. Not even a full season. This was actually a replacement for Pan Am, another show that failed kind of miserably. Which I got for Christmas, so we're going to review oh, that we're gonna at do some it. Point. So, yeah, G- GCB yeah. and Pan Am belong right yeah. next to each yeah. other. This aired, I think we forgot to mention, it aired on ABC from March 4th to May 6th, 2012. Yeah, it's yeah. Kind, of, kind of a recent show. And uh, episode 10, final episode, feels like a final episode. I guess they knew they were shutting down. There's a couple of dangling threads, but it's... Pretty, uh, uh, but it's, it's but pretty they do clear. they do leave you on a many cliffhangers. In fact, but they're um, all pretty minor. It's not like Lost where everything. There's going been crazy. this this subplot about how Kristen Chenoweth and her husband own a condo lot in Mexico, and she wants to take that money and put it into a condo in Oklahoma. No, 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 no. You're, uh, you're getting it wrong. How, what she wants, mm. Kristen Chenoweth's dream. Mm. A lot of a lot of the women on the show have have dreams of financial success, much like their husband. Cricket is successful, partially because her husband does see her as an equal. There's not a lot of mm. you're the woman in the relationship kind of talk um over the course of the series uh sharon develops actually a pretty decent sounding health food line which is all based on, based foods. on scripture yeah. yeah all based on foods that were actually in the bible and they're actually pretty healthy foods back then so she's got a a good sort of middle eastern greek gift pre- basket yeah prepared meals we send you three mm. meals a day that kind of thing and it ends up being very successful and i totally mm. buy it it's <laughs> called something stupid it's called losing it with jesus which is sort of <laughs> ah, no one said you know, anything you, you can get ezekiel bread sure in, in stores yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's a decent bit it's so fresh you got to keep it in the fridge because it goes moldy in a day there's yeah. so many movies or tv shows where someone has to come up with a fake product for the plot and the product is just ridiculous You'd never imagine that would be successful. Mm. There's like that movie, uh, I think it's Envy, where Jack Black invents a a spray that sends dog poo to another dimension. And I'm like, too far. Like, is you, that what it, I thought it just dissolved the poo. I think it sends it to another dimension. It's, is that memories. the twist in I, Envy? I don't think it's a twist. I think that's the premise. And I'm like, <laughs> you... I, I no longer buy it. Like, it's too far. But, like, this is actually like, I buy this being successful. Well mm. done. That's, that's pretty good writing. Um... And, of course, Heather is trying to build her real estate business. Kristen Chenoweth's dream is to start a condo exclusively for Christians. Mm. And to the show's credit, literally everybody, even her husband, says that's incredibly illegal. Uh. 
You you can't it's, do it's unethical. That. Yeah, yeah, you can't do that. You will, will be sued, and there are state laws against that kind of thing. So the only place she can open it up, there's a moment where she thinks she can do it in Oklahoma. Turns on, out on an Indian reservation. That is. Turns out the only place she can do it nearby is in. Juarez, Mexico. Which is which was his idea, and we'll get to the reason why in a second. So in this episode, they're going to break ground on the condos. She wants everyone to go there. Everyone has their contrived reasons to show up, even though they originally didn't want to. Um, and they get kidnapped mm-hmm. by Sandra Bernhard. <laughs> which is great casting. I love seeing Sandra Bernhard and everything. I kind of thought she'd be a bigger deal. Like, we find out she was Annie Potts' sister or some, like, big melodramatic revelation. She's just someone. Just a character in that story. Yeah. She just doesn't want them to break the, doesn't want them to break the on Aztec land, and it turns out she's descended from Aztecs. Yeah, her last name is Horowitz, and they're like, your your last name is Horowitz. I'm one-eighth. It counts. (laughs) Um, And then the girls get lost in the desert, and they start drinking, like, tequila, I think, in order to stay hydrated, which... Doesn't work. Well, of course it doesn't. But they don't know that because they're city girls. And they all freak out, and Leslie Bibb goes off the wagon. Turns out she was an alcoholic, which they mentioned a lot, but didn't come up until now, Mm. really, as an important plot point. Um, but the big one of the big twists. It's a couple of big the, twists. The, here, the yeah. reason that uh, Kristen Chenoweth's husband wanted to move uh, or pushed to have the, these things open in Mexico was uh, so he could go to Mexico to meet this mysterious young woman. Yeah, mysterious, younger, more attractive woman. And Leslie Bibb and Annie Potts find out, like, see them together, and they mm. assume he's having an affair. It turns out she's his daughter, probably that he never told Kristen Chenoweth about. Yeah. Which is, he has a 22-year-old adult daughter that he never told anybody about. Which, is a, hell of a Mexico. Thing. Yeah. which is a hell of a thing. So, That's really going to be a problem. Big, big season finale. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, uh, the pastor is not in Mexico. Or is, no, he's there with him. Oh, yeah, he's yeah. there with them in Mexico. And it turns and, out he was actually in the Iraq war and like mm-hmm. search and rescue, so he's totally badass and tracks them through the desert. <laughs> and he fi- and the, the last scene of the show is uh, Leslie Bibb it says, I fell off the wagon, I have some tequila, and... This is really, really bad. And she actually she fell off the wagon. Then she went to a bar. She ordered a drink, and then she didn't drink it. And she realizes I'm good. I don't need it. I'm, I'll she was be okay. A, a, about to stay off. The I, wagon. I've grown as a character over mm-hmm. the course of this season. The pastor's like, that's really good character development. She's like, sure is. And then they kiss, and uh-huh. it's awkward. And then their credits roll. <laughs> um, the weird thing is, though, they're not in a religion where the pastor can't marry. Yeah. So. It's really not that bad. It's not well, even it's, that scandalous. It, it's weird because now she has an in with the leader of the social center of these women, and also she's dating another man. Well, so. she she broke up with him though. What happened was Kristen Chenoweth's younger brother mm. told her she uh, he was in Austin, I think, uh. and she found out he wasn't. He was in Juarez. Turns out he was in Juarez investigating. Kristen Chenoweth's husband's daughter to make sure she was real and not just trying to get at their enormous mm. millions of dollars. Um, but Leslie Bibb, very reasonably, actually, mm. um, says, okay, here's the thing. I understand why you did it, but you lied to me really easily. Like, it came really naturally to you, and my husband was duplicitous, cheated on me, ran a Ponzi scheme. This makes me incredibly uncomfortable, and I think we should break up. Actually, every time... Oh, I, I, only, I, I only read that she was mad at him. Oh, I, <laughs> I thought, thought they were I, still together. But... I thought they were breaking... I'm pretty yeah. sure that if they broke up at that point, it would be fine, and yeah, he would right. be totally justified. There's an earlier bit where she finds out that he dated, like, 18 other women mm. and took them all to Kristen Chenoweth. Like, every year he took a different woman to Kristen Chenoweth's vowel renewal ceremony mm-hmm. and um it makes her really uncomfortable and at first you're just sort of like he dated who gives a crap and then we find it only in the next episode i think this was a mistake 
in the next episode do we find out she's only slept with one man. Mm. So there's a reason why she's uncomfortable. And that's actually pretty good character development. Mm. Um, let's see. Also, uh, the man that Cricket flirted with and actually had some feelings for, he goes to her husband and basically blackmails him and said, I found out that you're gay. And mm. more or less says, if you don't let me fuck your wife, I'm going to tell everybody. Which is really messed up. Well, it's really dark. It, it wasn't because I knew the relationship between Cricket and her husband so well that she he would just go to her and say... And he does. Yeah, hey, this guy said this horrible thing to me. He's going to try to blackmail me. Do you really, really want to date that guy? And they don't resolve it, but yeah. that's basically where that ends up. Uh, meanwhile, um, Sharon... Turns out her husband, whose dealership, car dealership, has been going down the tubes, while she was lost in the desert, he agreed to sell the company right. to a, a, a health food conglomerate. So, some on, off-screen billionaire company. And throughout the episode, she had this really competitive streak with Cricket. Like, you're already successful. Well, I'm growing up on my own two feet, and I'm going to be successful on my own, and we're going to be rivals. And it turns out the people who bought her company... Are owned by Cricket. Yeah. <laughs> Cricket tries to buy her out. So that's that's pretty fun, too. Um, and then it ends. Then it ends. Um, if it had gone on 100 episodes, I wouldn't have been surprised. There's a really great um, ensemble cast here, and you can kind of throw them in any situation. Like, you know you've got a good comedy. I think I've mentioned this before. If you can just imagine the character doing something, and it's funny, even though you don't know what they do. Mm. The the er example I go to is Frasier. Okay. Like, because Frazier and Niles Crane are so particularly defined. They're erudite, they're mm. stuck up, they're worldly, but only in their own sphere of experience, and you send them out anywhere else, and they're weird. Mm. Imagine the Crane brothers, the Frazier brothers, going to a heavy metal concert. Yeah. Boom! I can see that episode. That episode's <laughs> going to be a classic. Uh, I'm, I can imagine these characters doing almost anything, and it's probably be a pretty good episode if you did it right. We, we've complained a lot uh, over the course of Council Too Soon about how TV shows, even over the course of a whole season, can't really find a good tone or premise. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I think the last time we said this was um, David Cassidy. Mm-hmm. Where, David Cassidy and Human Target and both. And Human Target problems, both. Yeah. Where, where they're, they can't really find what the tone of the show wants to be, whether it should be comedic or really spy-heavy. Roar, or, last week. Like, yeah, the, it, it, Roar is couldn't it find out. Is it serious? Where, who's the villain we don't even know anymore? GCB, like, maybe three episodes was finding its feet, just laying down all of the groundwork. Yeah. After that, it finds its niche, its groove really fast. Yeah, it is and this the, show, very well-defined. The actors are all really comfortable in these roles. They're all really well-defined people. They're all really good actors. I think they're all very funny. Even the husbands are all really funny. The dynamic is well understood. It's all easy to absorb. It goes down smooth, was the way I described it. (laughs) And while I was shifting uncomfortably in my seat over sort of a lot of the ho-ho, aren't evangelicals funny, when are we going to get to, like, the rampant homophobia in the evangelical community? Um... The, the show is actually so solidly put together, I'm really surprised it didn't take off in any sort of significant way. Well, was it, was it simply the title? Could I they not? The, well, the title was a big controversy, actually. When they announced that they were making a show called Good Christian Bitches, the mm-hmm. American Family Association filed a petition. Mm-hmm. Um, and the quote I've got here in front of me is they argued, um, with a title like Good Christian Bitches, you can imagine what kind of show it will be. Even if they change the title, the content will still mock people of faith. Mm-hmm. 
doesn't. It, you know what? It calls people of faith on their crap, and yeah. that's okay. But it celebrates them for the good stuff, which yeah, is why yeah, it's, it's and, actually very positive. And it never actually mocks their religion. It mocks their hypocrisy. It's actually yeah. very tasteful. Yeah, regarding the religion, it's actually very mm. reasonable. There's a lot. There's a lot of negative things mm. you can say about kind of any religion, really, if you think about it. Like, <laughs> yeah, almost. If you look in any corner. Yeah, yeah certainly. Uh, or at least... The, and, but this just takes square aim at people who... They, well, you know, anyone who has ideals or principles, you're going to find, if you look closely enough, that they don't always live up to them. Mm. That's a source of good drama, and it's a source of really good comedy. This one does it really, really well. Uh, Kristen Chenoweth, who is apparently an ev- evangelical Christian, mm. I'm not her biographer, but that's my understanding, um, she's, she responded to all the protests saying, I have another quote in front of me mm. here, uh, I certainly wouldn't do anything that would make fun of my own faith. This is just chocolate cake, and it's actually a love letter to Dallas. Mm. But, you know, love isn't always reciprocal. <laughs> and I think this might be a show that was maybe a little too good for its own good. I think it was a little too successful at being lovingly satirical. Hmm. Because when you look at like a lot of Christian media, in particular... If, if, if you must. There's, well, we, we have. We you know, have. Yeah, Christian we've, cinema we've, we've has reviewed, blown up yeah, lately. We've reviewed a lot of Christian films. Yeah, like Christian movies are, you know, they're not maybe not all making $100 million, but they're very profitable right now. they got mm. a very excited, very dedicated target demo that comes out to these. And the successful ones aren't self-critical. No. They're very celebratory. No. They want to... These, these are a, a group of fans. Well, they're, conver- just, they're conversion films. Or, no, they're actually more like preaching to the choir films. Often the preaching to the choir yeah. films. It's sort of like how everyone's like mad at... like Well, not everyone, but like mm. certain people are mad at Star Wars The Last Jedi because it didn't pander to the fans. It tried mm. to do its own thing and be kind of at least a little daring oh. as far as that franchise goes. Who are like, whoa, 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 whoa. We liked the pandering. <laughs> Please pander more. That was that was what we were doing. I thought I thought that was the arrangement. Disney. <laughs> good Christian bitches is probably the same way. It's probably a little too good for its own good. So I'm going to tell you this right now. Hell yeah, the show was canceled too soon. The show was great. I think it was canceled too soon. Uh, going going over how just what a well put together program it was in the cast just alone. Yeah, I think the, I think the biggest uh, problem is it just took a couple of episodes where we're just a little more mean spirited than it eventually would be. And I can appreciate, if you watch a couple, you might th- not think it's going to get better. But it did, really and fast. I'm, I don't recall, apart from the, the controversy of the t- over the title, I don't recall any sort of controversy over the show's content or anybody who protested the show in general. Not specifically. Um, like, the title was the main point of contention yeah, that I remember. Yeah. Yeah. And it, that's the title of the book. So, you know, they're making a show all of a sudden it's a problem? Well, I guess well, so. the book wasn't being mass marketed on billboards. I suppose not. It's a certain a different level of visibility, and as a result, it's a different level of uh, uh, objection. Mm-hmm. You're going to be more more strident about objecting to something if more people know about it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I guess so. same thing with Last Temptation of Christ. It's like that was a book. Yeah, and not, it was a controversial the, book, but it but was the not... movie was the one that got picket lines. Exactly. Um, so yeah, good show. Uh, our fans on Patreon mm-hmm. picked a good one. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, there are more polls on the website. Uh, we've already decided next week's, but we have other polls uh, about shows that uh, demonized the internet, all of which I realized after the fact were aired on Fox. Fox was oh, really that, scared of the internet in the huh, 90s. How strange. I never that, thought that was, of them. That was their niche in the 90s. Uh, we've got uh, a bunch of legal thrillers. Uh, we got a bunch of weird private detective shows. All of those polls are still open. They're still anyone's game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but next week, it's horror shows. 
And it was a real close call between a show I really want to get to, and we will at some point, mm. called Mistress of Suspense, a.k.a. Chillers, which was an anthology series hosted by Anthony Perkins in which every single episode was based on a suspense story written by Patricia Highsmith. Patricia Highsmith, uh, who is best known for writing such uh, or books that inspired films like The Talented Mr. Ripley, Strangers mm. on a Tram, and most recently, Carol. That's fucking awesome, and we're totally going to review that at some point. I don't know if it's any good, but it's a great mm. idea. The show that won, that we will review next week on the show, is Brimstone, which was a short-lived action-horror hybrid about the devil's bounty hunter, (laughs) wandering the earth, capturing escaped souls. Who now have devil powers. They've been in hell so long that, like, hellfire has, like, soaked into their bodies, and now they're super-powered hell criminals. And this one guy has to try... It's, It's like time tracks. (laughs) Sure. Because everything's like time tracks in my mind. Everything is time tracks to you. Uh, So that's what's going on next week. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, in the meantime, again, we're on Patreon. Uh, We're on Twitter at CancelledCast. You can email us, CancelledTooSoon at gmail.com. Do we have time for letters? We do have some time for letters. Awesome. Let's uh, let's let's read some letters. uh, Oh, uh, what's your personal email address? I'm not telling my personal email email address. What's your social uh, security number, Whitney? What's your personal (laughs) Twitter handle? I'm at William Bibiani. He's at Whitney Seibel. William Bibiani, Whitney Seibel. Mm -hmm. Pretty easy to remember. (laughs) Um, uh, and also, you can listen to us on Critically Acclaimed uh, on the Schmozno Network. Our doing, show airs every Sunday. Doing that for a couple uh, couple months now. Yeah, uh, pretty fun. This month, uh, we're, this week, mm. we're going to be reviewing Earth versus the Spider at Bert I. Gordon Classic <laughs> Joint. It's noteworthy. It's a bad movie, but we're going <laughs> to find a good movie to pair with, and we found a good one, All so right. it'll be a fun episode. All right, here's a letter from Thomas. Hello, Hi, Thomas. Thomas. This is on our U-Log commentary. <laughs> God, we're, uh, we're actually kind of caught up. We're, we're, we're almost caught up here. Cool. Greetings, gentlemen. I am a recent convert to C2S, picking up the show right after hearing Whitney on the canon. Right now, I'm almost entirely caught up. I was on the canon. You were. Uh, I, I tried to sell The Tingler with Amy Nicholson. They didn't go for and it. And they didn't go for That's it. That was ridiculous. not convincing. Uh, the Tingler is not in the canon. The Tingler is totally canon. We need to start it's our... canon-worthy. I think we need to bring it back somehow. Yeah. The anti-canon podcast. The anti-canon. The... the we give all of the rejected films a second chance. We're the slam dance of podcasts. <laughs> there you go. I'm sure Amy Nicholson would be okay with that. Sure. Um, I'm a native New Yorker, he says. Okay. Uh, so I'm very familiar with the legend of the Yule Log. Ah. My grandmother used to tune into the Yule Log during our Christmas family get-together. I found it boring, but I was a little kid, so what did I know? The station that broadcast it was WPIX, an independent outfit that is now our local CW affiliate. I think a station out of New Jersey now broadcasts a truncated version of it. Uh, You mentioned on one episode that it's difficult to find UPN shows. I'm dismayed because one of my favorite one-season wonders is The Burning Zone. Ah. The first of the X-Files emulators starring a young Jeffrey Dean Morgan as a rebellious virologist tasked with dealing with strange diseases and maladies. It's very ninety. Uh, it's very nineties riffic. The plot focuses on Morgan driving his car to a sponge song. <laughs> remember, nice. remember sponge. Not really. <laughs> it's they're okay. Um, and features a whiplash like reboot in the middle of its twenty one episode season. Anyway, th- keep up the good work, Thomas. Well, yeah, thank you, Thomas. Most shows failed on UPN. Like we could probably do yeah. like a half year of nothing but UPN if we could find. If them. we could find, yeah, they're. All of the failed UPN show. We wanted to do like platypus, all of, like the four big ones that launched it. Yeah. There was Star Trek Voyager. Which lasted a long time. Lasted a long time. That was like their one success. Big that, success. Them and I think Supernatural was a UPN show. Uh, no, no. Or Super- no Supernatural was still CW. It wasn't, it wasn't Supernatural. They, it was Roswell. 
Roswell was, a, was a hit. Success? They picked up Buffy the Vampire Slayer after mm. the CW. Or well, that was after the merger. Yeah. yeah, I'm just saying like that. They yeah. they picked up a few things. I think they lost Veronica Mars to CW. No, what happened was UPN merged with uh, the the WB right, and became the CW. Yeah, I think so. I think Veronica Mars is UPN, and that show was fucking awesome. Okay, uh, they they had very few successes. I'm going to look that up because someone. Uh, but mad at there me were there were four launch shows. One was Star Trek Voyager. One was Platypus Man, the uh, Richard Jenny sitcom, which was actually quite funny. I remember uh, liking it at the time. There was there another. Was one, there was one called Two Something, I believe, and it was such a bad title that they actually tried to crowdsource a new title for the show. <laughs> And it didn't nothing. Nothing really caught on. I don't even remember what the new title was. It was just to some be. sitcom about dudes. Two dudes. Yeah, it was, and, it was another. And I can't even man. remember what the fourth show was. Like they had four big launch shows, and I never remember what the fourth well, one was. Well, it was Nowhere Man, and that mm. it was Nowhere Man. There were two sitcoms. Oh, and okay. Star Trek okay. Oh, Nowhere and Nowhere man. Okay. man is actually a show I always was very fond of, and we do have Nowhere Man, and we're going to get to Nowhere mm. Man at some point. But yeah, they got a. Bunch Are you sure of weird it was Nowhere shit. Man? Oh I yeah, that was a little later. Okay, I thought Nowhere Man was right at the beginning. But regardless. Oh. Um, yeah. And yeah. then they had stuff like uh, The Secret Diary of Desmond Pfeiffer, which is harder to find than I thought it would be. You'd think it's infamy would at least let us find I it somewhere. I thought it would be relatively yeah. easy to track down, because a lot of these, like, no one remembers fucking Deadly Games or Marker. <laughs> but, like, no, uh, yeah, that's the... Secret Diary Desmond but Pfeiffer is notoriously one of the worst shows ever made. It's like right up there with Heil Honey I'm Home, which we haven't done yet. How weird is that? There was a there was a quote unquote funny sitcom about Hitler and his wacky neighbors that lasted for one episode called Heil Honey I'm Home. Yeah, British, we'll get to it. British production, American weird, actors. Weird show. Weird show. Uh, here's a letter from Justin. Hi, Justin. Hi. I listen to a lot of storytelling podcasts that end up being rather emotionally heavy and no fun to listen to on my bus commute or walking the dog. I'm looking at you, the moth. <laughs> I even know that one. Moth Radio R? No, no, no. Oh, it's famous one. Uh, thank you, Cancel Too Soon, for always being fun. Oh, well, you're quite welcome. Thank you. Uh, I find myself watching new shows, hoping they will be canceled so that I can have the shared experience <laughs> of giving you the recap of the program. I hope that you can get to one of my favorite one-season shows to tell my friends about, Taxi Brooklyn. The wiki synopsis is exactly what the show is like. Caitlin, Kat Sullivan, is an NYPD detective working in Brooklyn. After hearing her after her driving privileges were suspended, she relies on Leo Ramba, a Brooklyn cab driver from France. White lady cop, streetwise black male cab driver from France. It's currently on Netflix. <laughs> Ooh, Chyler Lee. I liked Chyler Lee. I'm looking forward to sharing many more terrible shows with you, Justin. That's fantastic. Uh, oh, my God. We'll have the, uh, well, that's going on the list. We didn't have that one. Mm. That sounds, that's such a terrible title. Jeez. <laughs> See, it's, it's hard to find a letter. These are mostly like page. You guys are like voting a lot on our Patreon. Uh, yeah. Polls, which is really, really great. So thanks a lot. Keep up the good work. Yeah. Here's a letter from Brian. Uh, Cancelled too soon. I'm surprised you haven't done this series. Action with Jay Moore from 1999. We have a copy. Of we that. have a copy. Yeah. Uh, it was a self-contained show which ended ended with no cliffhanger, but I always believed it would have had more to say about Hollywood in future seasons. Uh, how they got away with what they did in one season still makes me smile, Brian. Uh, we have a copy of mm. Action. Uh -huh. um, and it's one of the shows that's kind of really notorious, and we don't like to do all of those kind of close together. We like to spread them out a bit, so there's always something big to look forward to people actually have heard of. Mm. We have a lot of people who say, like, I don't always listen to your show if I haven't heard of the show. Yeah. Some people only like to hear our show oh, yeah. when they haven't heard of it because they're finding out these weird chapters. So we like to sort of keep everyone keep invested. Variety. Some and variety. Keep it mixed up. But we have action. 
action's going to be a weird one to explore given the current climate in Hollywood and just how, <laughs> how incredibly toxic that show is. It was making fun of it, but it was really kind of yeah, confrontational yeah. about how terrible the industry was. Real fast, yeah. Taxi Brooklyn was actually based on the film Taxi, Taxi. the Luc Besson uh, produced slash written film. The original was actually a pretty good film, so I'm actually... And, I, and, I'm they, re, and they remade it in America. They did with... with Queen Latifah as the taxi driver, and right. I think it was... It's Jimmy, not Jimmy Fallon. Some, yeah, it was Jimmy Fallon. No, it wasn't Jimmy Fallon. Well, it was. was it? Was it Jimmy Fallon? Okay, Jimmy Fallon uh, as as the cop, and yeah. the, and the bad guys were like yeah, Jimmy Fallon. Okay, and and the bad guys were like leather clad supermodel jewel thieves, like you do. Uh-huh. I'm I'm just surprised because actually like the over of Luke Besson, like even his bad movies, I find pretty entertaining. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised I never heard of this show. The show based on the, because the, I, I watched well, the show based on a, Transporter. It's actually pretty good. It's a fun premise. Um, and when they, I read uh, Tom Lennon and Ben Grant's book. They wrote the remake. Yes, they did. And uh, <laughs> they uh, they said that they actually had a very positive experience writing Taxi because. They liked the premise. They liked their ideas. They thought they wrote funny lines. When they filmed it, they thought they were doing a really great high-energy sort of thing. They thought it was going to be a big hit. And here's the thing. When they tested it with audiences, it tested unbelievably well. People really, really loved Taxi in a test environment. But then when when they released it to the public, it got like one-star reviews across the board. Nobody liked that thing. Yeah, no one knows. Mm. Everyone makes a movie thinking it'll be maybe not great, but good, Mm. liked, popular hopefully make money yeah i interviewed patrick stewart uh, a couple of years ago that was cool by the way <laughs> you got to talk to patrick stewart. yeah he was really nice and uh, I, I interviewed him and the what i wanted to I was supposed to talk to him about green room and we did it's mm. a good movie uh but what i really want to talk to him about was the movie he was in called masterminds which uh starred him as a terrorist who takes over a high-end uh, a, like a private school, school yeah. like, a, like a private school and Vincent Carthizer from Angel and Mad Men plays like the hip hacker kid who was With like a skateboard who was ditching detention at the time so he's the only kid who's like crawling around the vents and it was just this teen diehard terrible teen, knockoff teen diehard in a private school ends with like a go-kart chase in the sewers and oh, Patrick God, Stewart drives into a bu- puddle of poo yeah. and it's just terrible and Patrick Stewart, like that was the first time I think he tried to be funny, and he's funny in in, in, in movies. I'm in sure movie. he well, plays in, in or whatever. Movies, but like, but yeah, he, he was he, known as a very serious actor. At the he time. always played very stern characters. He's better at stern characters. He he tells a funny story when he was working on Star Trek. How he had to gather the actors around and saying we're being too silly on set and. <laughs> And uh, Denise Crosby said, well, how are we going to have fun? And he actually remembers and is ashamed of saying this. He said, we're not here to have fun. (laughs) (laughs) And he immediately, like, immediately after that meeting, started walking things back. But in in Masterminds, he plays this really kind of broadly comic character. And you can tell he's not entirely comfortable with it, but he's loving it. Yeah. It's like he's out in front of all these kids. Today is a very special day. Like, who? Are you? So I mentioned Masterminds. I was like, tell me about because uh, I was just like, hmm. so this is a Green Room is a film in which you sort of terrorize a bunch of kids in like an enclosed space. And I'm like, so tell me about Masterminds. Yeah. And he gets just like, huh, no one asks me about Masterminds. <laughs> and he's just like, I, I produced that film. We thought it was going to be the next Home Alone. We <laughs> thought we were going to be rich as Croesus. <laughs> and then I go to a screening in the valley on opening day, and I was the only one there. <laughs> So you never know. Patrick Stewart, I saw that movie. On on paper, it sounds like a good idea. Mm. You never know. Here's a letter from Cecil. Hello, Cecil. Hi, Cecil. 
Uh, hey guys, I've been stuck babysitting with my friend, so we end up having kids' shows on while we do other stuff. Hmm. I figure every show deserves to be judged equally, and since this is no different, here's a quick review of the five kids' shows I have watched the most. Okay. okay. Peppa Pig. Utter trash. The main character is annoying, and one of the lessons is to be friends with a spider. That's deadly. <laughs> <laughs> what you need is a cop show with incense and Peppa Pig. What a surprise that would be. Oh, God. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to dignify your joke. Dora the Explorer. Can you see a garbage show? What is this? I, I have a feeling... You're right. This is a terrible show. Stop shouting. It was amusing when she says, what was your favorite park? And I, part, and I just make awful sex jokes. You know... I hope not in front of the kid yeah, that you're babysitting. That's kind of inappropriate. But, like, you can't remember, like, you want to judge every film, not... Or every film, every TV show, not mm. based against everything else, but based on what it's trying to do. Mm. Shows like Dora the Explorer are didactic. They're trying to teach. They're not yeah. trying to create a narrative. They're not really trying to entertain. Or if they do, it's pretty minor and just to sort of create a through line. You know, Blue's Clues it's, is not Avatar The Last Airbender. It's, it's they, kind of, they can hit the same demo, but it's, it's kind of like a, a meditation. It's like, and then we're going to do these very gentle things that, yeah. you know, kids with very, very small kids with short attention spans can kind of get into the rhythm of. Yeah. It's harmless. Uh, Bear in the Big Blue House is delightful. Mm, so the I kids. that show. Uh, the kids do stuff. Uh, Bear helps them. I think it's a daycare situation. They sing a song about cleaning, go to bed, and sing goodbye to the moon. It's great. Hmm. Uh, Paw Patrol. Thank God every kid has ditched Peppa for this far better show. The puppies and a kid are helping animals with sci-fi gadgets, and it's delightful. I've seen toys for that when I was like Christmas shopping uh, this uh, year. My, I thought my I son thought has puppies uh, had come back. I guess it's Paw Patrol. Uh, somebody asked me about Paw Patrol, and I thought it was like a troll that was a papa, like. Pa- <laughs> Like Papa Trolls, like have you heard of Papa Troll? No, tell me about this troll. That, that actually is, sounds that is pretty papa. good. I watched that. Oh no, it's Paw, like a patrol of paws. Okay, mm. got it. I haven't seen any Paw Patrol. No, not another one. Uh, but my son owns a shirt. <laughs> There's plenty there of go. merch around for a lot I'm of. Sure, this you'll stuff. run into it eventually. And uh, Madeline, I don't remember this show, but the movie is great and it involves a car chase between a nun and a motorbike and a circus truck. It's awesome. Madeline There's so is many classic, great sh- yeah. kids shows. Don't let kids watch trash. Um, Kids have, will find trash. I have a kid. Um, and no matter how resolute a parent you may think you are, or will be if you're about to have a kid, the kids are going to find what they find. Mm-hmm. They're going to like what they like. And denying your child that thing is makes you a worse parent than letting them watch something terrible. I think... So, okay. yeah, my son has attached himself onto things I don't like necessarily. But I think your responsibility isn't to make sure... like. <sighs> It's like your kid likes candy. Every kid likes candy. Your responsibility is to make sure he doesn't only eat candy. Yeah. You got to make sure. A little candy. It's it's a diet. You have a diet of food. You have Mm. a diet of art. You have a diet of information where you want to make sure that your Mm. child is well-rounded. So so we, we let him watch a little bit of TV. Yeah. And we always watch it with him. It's never like just pop him in front and go do something. Although we are guilty of doing that because we're parents and Uh, that's the reality of the situation. It happens once in a while. It just Mm. can't be the norm. And like, look, you know, you're going to like have a conversation about the stuff that is lame. and You want to make sure they watch the stuff that is good Mm. as well. But the other thing is that there is a generational dynamic. We've all experienced this where our parents didn't understand our music or Mm. comics or video games or TV or our movies. And sometimes they were right. The stuff we like sucked. But sometimes we were keying into something that they couldn't see because they weren't 
in the right frame of mind at the time. Mm. And maybe they didn't see the good in it. And all we were looking at was the good in it and all the bad, which they were right to point out, <laughs> isn't the thing we cared about. And mm. we actually took away something very, very positive, which is why you have a dialogue with your kids about mm. the art that they consume. Just ask ask questions. Ask questions. What, what did they learn? What did they do? What, do you, what, what are they do, saying to what each do, other? Why do you like this? Yeah. Just why do you mm. like it? That's a, that's a good thing to do. They're not going to be articulate about it, but they can start becoming articulate about it. I remember when the Ninja Turtles were like at the height of their popularity, and I remember seeing a news report when about the time the movie came out. It's like 89, 90. And uh, they were trying to figure out what kids liked about this truly bizarre premise. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's weird. Yeah, we take figure, it for granted now, but yeah, that's a stupid that's, idea that's a, for a, anything. A stupid, strange idea that somehow got a toehold. And it started off as a stupid, strange joke. It was a it parody. Was a, it was a parody of Daredevil. It was basically, yeah. what's the stupidest thing we can do? Teenage Ninja, Ninja Turtles. Ninja Turtles. All right. Sounds funny. Let's do it. And they, they tried to go to kids and they said, what's, what, what do you like about the Ninja Turtles? You know, give us some insight, seven-year-old. And they, I remember a dad like asking his kid, what do you like about the Ninja Turtles? And he said, when he does that, he like punches over his shoulder <laughs> and punches a guy behind him. That's what I like about the Ninja Turtles, when he punches a guy over his shoulder. There's a really cool show uh, on Netflix right now, which is actually a series of documentaries about toys. It's like uh, the toys that made us, I think is what it's called, mm-hmm. and we watched. I watched like a couple episodes of it this week, um, and there's a really cool episode of just about He-Man, the action figure line. It's mm-hmm. all the people who created the He-Man action figures, talking about the genesis of it, mm-hmm. why they think it connected, how it almost became something entirely different, and one of the things to talk about is what do kids want and. Kids want action figures, but action figures fail all the time. Mm-hmm. What is it about it? And they realized that what He-Man had that was connecting with kids was it was about power. Mm. It was about muscles. Yeah. It was about strength. It was about not being told what to do. It's about having that kind of just – that was a power figure. It was the, the – well, what it, Rich Evans, who put, put it as, you can't tell me to go to bed. Yes, yeah. is the ultimate fantasy for a little kid. I, exactly, kids know what they like, but they're not self-aware. They're not articulate. They don't understand subtext. Mm. They can pick up on it, but they don't understand it, and they can't articulate it. So this is one of the reasons why, and this happens with a lot of adults. A lot of people just like what they like. The Applejacks argument. Yeah, and this is one of the reasons why we have critics. We can maybe articulate some things that you're picking up on that you're not well-versed enough in the art form to really understand how it does that or why it does that or why it does that better than this other thing. And when you're just starting out learning about an art form, and you're saying that reading criticism can be really useful because you can articulate learn, why you feel Learn that way. vocabulary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's really useful. Uh, here's a letter from Josh. Hi, Josh. Hello, cancel too soon. First off, thanks for getting to my letter during the Sudbury episode. This time around, I'd like to know if you have ever seen a show on broadcast or cable that seemed to be a better fit on the other side. I can't envision there being many instances of a show on cable being better served on broadcast TV, but there are likely countless examples of shows on broadcast TV that would be better on cable TV. For hmm. example, Swingtown, mm. uh, likely already been suggested, which was a CBS show about two suburban couples in 1976 Chicago that attempted to get into swinging with each other. The show ends up being surprisingly chaste at the end. Hmm. Such subject matter was hobbled by being on broadcast TV. When the Brian Fuller remake of Hannibal arrived on NBC, I surely thought I was going to be severely restrained in its ability to show violence. That was clearly clearly was not the case nope. but jay moore's action also like well we just talked about i was that, just about to bring that on one Fox, up as my example, uh, yeah. should have been on cable because a tv ma on primetime tv is a sign that you're not going to 
be around for long, even if you are on Fox. I was curious if you had any examples. Well, I think... As always, fantastic work to keep pushing the episodes. Um, I've seen a few... I'm not uh, super well-versed in the, the output of HBO. Didn't mm. have cable growing up, and I just haven't caught up on pretty much anything. Sure. Um, HBO, when they first sort of hit their stride on original programming, bragged about what they could get away with. You watch something like Tales from the Crypt, we're going to show tits in every episode and we're going to say fuck because yeah. we can. And people are going to get carved to pieces. Yeah, vividly. and then we're going to show like really horrible violence. Yeah. The really horrible violence is in keeping with the tone of the show. Hmm. And indeed it ended up making, like that violence was on late night network TV after a while. They put it in syndication. Yeah, they cut out a <laughs> they, little they, bit. But they like... cut out the, the nudity and the cussing, but yeah. They left, mo- left in most of the gore. Yeah, they syndicated that. Yeah. I've, I've seen a few other HBO shows, just like snippets and, and single episodes here and there, where it seems like they're throwing in the sex and violence unbelievably gratuitously. Like, the show stops so we can show some breasts, or people can cuss a bunch, mm-hmm. and it's actually not necessarily adding to the show. Yeah, and they're in just because they can't. Yeah, if you were to maybe streamline that and take out the objectionable content, it might play better on network TV. Yeah. I can't say that for sure. I would have to be more experienced. Well, I, th- I think the obvious examples which you pointed out are the uh, network shows that would work better on cable. I don't usually see like a lot of the pay mm-hmm. uh, sh- cable shows that would necessarily work better on network television. But I can think a lot of basic cable shows mm-hmm. that would. Uh, the Sci-Fi Network, for example, <laughs> has a tendency to pick up shows kind of just not do anything with them. And there's a lot of ones that are like, you know what, if this had been on UPN, mm-hmm. they probably would have made this fit a more rigid mold and probably would have thrown a little bit more money at it. And they probably mm-hmm. would have, like, I think it's something like uh, Painkiller Jane, okay, which was a perfectly okay idea for a superhero show. And I think if it had been on UPN, they probably would have picked it up again mm-hmm. because they probably would have been able to find a bigger audience for badass superhero Mm-hmm. Uh, female-led show who can't die and fights superpowered bad guys. Done! It's another Buffy! Cool! Do it! The, the, this show's successful, so this may not be the best example, but I watched uh, the pilot of The Expanse. Mm. And The Expanse, just too much. It's just too much. The present, the premise is way too complicated. Mm. The special effects are unbound, and it's there's just too much information entering my brain uh, in something as huge as The Expanse. And I feel like if you'd moved that to network TV and slashed the budget by, like, you know, half or even more... Right. They would have had to focus a little bit more, and it wouldn't have been as unbound or unfocused a program. Um, but yeah, I'm Just, sure we can uh, a thought, a yeah, thought. We can also do more examples. Okay. Let's do one more, and then we'll uh, we'll call it a day. Well, we only have two more. Oh, until well, let's we're do two then. So uh, this one comes from Kevin. Okay. Um, Hi guys, Kevin, your lucky 50th Patreon patron here. Ooh, Hello, 50th Patreon you. patron. Been sitting on slash compiling these for a while, so I want to shoot them over. These are all suggestions. Let's do it. The powers of Matthew Starr. We know it. We know the powers of Matthew Starr. It's on the list. <laughs> I vaguely remember this sci-fi relic from the early 80s with Lewis Gossett Jr., one of the finest heads of feathered 80s hair ever seen on broadcast TV. Uh, bring him back alive. Similar to Casablanca, the series and Tales of the Brass Monkey, this attempted to cash in on the success of Raiders of the Lost Ark. It starred Bruce Boxleitner hey! as a real-life big game hunter named Frank Buck. Bring huh. him back alive. I actually don't know that I one. I don't know That's that one either. Cool. Okay. Reigns, R-A-I-N-E-S. In the, aftermath, in the aftermath of House, shows like this uh, and Shark, featuring film actors finally dipping their toes into TV waters, seem to be everywhere. I actually watched this a little over ten years ago. It starred Jeff Goldblum as a police detective who conducts imaginary conversations with murder victims to help find their killers. Interesting. That is that is on our list. Yeah. 
That's good. Uh, QED dimly remembered this show with a young Sam Waterston as a kind of scientific Sherlock Holmes. Uh, the reboot of The Night Stalker, got it. And Threshold, yes, we also know that one. Yep. One of the attempts of many big mythology shows like Invasion cropped up after the success of Lost. Carla Cugino and Peter Dinklage, Charles S. Dutton, Brent freaking Spiner, period. Damn good cast. <laughs> and last but not least, speaking of the divine Miss Gugino, a non-winner from the recent Patreon poll, Karen Sisko. <laughs> we, will, we have Karen Sisko, yeah. we will get to Karen Sisko. I've always wanted to watch Karen Sisko. The one I'm actually having trouble tracking down is Maximum Bob. Which is oh, also okay. based on an Elmore Leonard story. It starred Bo Bridges as a charmingly one. corrupt small town uh, judge. Yeah. Was uh, mm-hmm. Barry Sonnenfeld worked on it? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember really liking it. But oh, and uh, you know what? That's out. it. That's all of our. Uh, oh, okay. That's all of them. Sweet. <laughs> wow. I don't know how I so feel th- anymore. Thank you for writing in. Please write more because uh, we can read more letters. Yeah, on we're, the we're, we're we happy to do so. <laughs> um, so, everybody, thank you again for listening to Cancel Too Soon. We'll be back next week with a review of Brimstone, which is not only the winner of our poll, but also one of the more commonly requested shows we get. So uh-huh. we're getting to, a, getting to a big one, and that's really I, exciting. And I've been looking forward to this one because I, I remember watching a couple episodes and have always wanted to see I, more. I always so liked it at the time. I liked it at the time. I love John Glover. Who doesn't? John Glover is fantastic. I love the bicycle guy from Singles. Mm-hmm. Glad he, got his own, <laughs> glad he got his own show. John Glover and the Bicycle Guy from Singles. It, guy, you know, guy Brimstone. Yeah. Um, so that's coming up next week. Uh, go on over to our Patreon page. Uh, $5 a month gets you a bonus episode, the Cancel Too Soon monthly movie. This mm-hmm. month we're going to be reviewing the miniseries Intruders. Uh, but we also get you an opportunity to vote on all of our various polls, which are many of which are still running right now. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at CancelCast. I'm Matt William Bibiani. I'm Matt Winnie Seibold. And again, critically acclaimed on the Schmoes No iTunes Network or the SK Plus YouTube channel. Where we do the shtick, but with movies. Whee! <laughs> Everybody, thank you again for listening. And that's a wrap. We'll see you next season. 